welcome to Blue Royalty, a London's Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. After four years, Chelsea finally have an opening day victory as we beat Tottenham 2-1 at Stamford Bridge to kick off our WSL season. Goals from debutante Mia Fischel and Lauren James give us the win despite Martha Thomas pulling one back for Spurs. I'm joined today by Abdullah Abdullah to run through this first match. First things first, Abdullah. We've got to thank Sky Sports for the little shout-out we got pre-match. I know neither of us actually heard it, but we've been reliably informed that Caroline Barker, thanks Caroline if you're listening, um, was singing our praises. Which looks like she is because she shouted out a few lines of what we said in one of the, one of the episodes. So huge shout-out over there. No, it was great to hear. I mean, we were tagged on, on, on X or Twitter and... Uh, Suddenly, our entire WhatsApp group was like, "Wait, what? What happened? Can we can we get the uh, can we get the clip somewhere?" So we haven't been clipped up yet. So if anybody does have the clip by the time you're listening to this, just please send it across and let us know because we'd like to hear it from our own ears. But it's very great, great work, and um, you know, great to to get shouted out on Sky and at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, Stamford Bridge, no less. Good vibes with everyone nodding along. Apparently, um, so that's nice. Um, I'm glad people are enjoying our work. Um, it was a good start to the season, wasn't it, Abdullah? I think, you know, obviously this game took place kind of in the context of Arsenal already having lost. We will touch on the other results, but in case anyone missed, Arsenal lost. Um, and I think that kind of meant I was in like a bit of a weird place on my way to Stamford Bridge, whereby I wanted to, let's not lie, enjoy Arsenal losing. But I also didn't want to get ahead of myself because... I wanted to wait until we'd actually got a win to truly enjoy it. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, it's because, you know, obviously, like, we've not had the greatest of luck on opening day fixtures. Uh, and when Arsenal lost, it was more like, they lost, this is great, but let's win the game first so we can enjoy double the, the victory, right? It's a double victory, get three points ahead. And I think a lot of the overwhelming narrative on Twitter was that, Yes, Chelsea have lost opening day games, but it's Chelsea, and that that, that you know, and just that alone, people are like, well, it's Chelsea. They'll make up the point back. You almost guarantee they'll make up the points back. Whereas with Arsenal, there seems to be this fragility around them where um, they've lost this opening game. It already seems like they're like six points behind. That's what most people like. That's the way it looks like because they've lost Liverpool. They still got to play City, United. Chelsea in two two games each and if you're already three points behind by losing to a team that you probably should have beaten then it's tough and then you're relied upon to having to beat Chelsea and so that then becomes a tough ask so I already feel like it's like we've literally finished the first game week and Arsenal have all this pressure on them to try and catch up so um yeah I, I, I guess we couldn't have asked for a better start to the season just in terms of those results alone I mean if, if Villa had held on it would have been greater but um it is what it is yeah I think it's indicative of the season to come I do think this is a season which will have a few more surprises in store as as we go along especially against some of those mid-table teams which have definitely taken a step forward I think over the summer Let's kick off then with our first three-word match review of the season. Some of the ones coming in from you guys on Twitter. Rob says, one first game, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. Clayton at Goalie59 says, opening win shock. Chelsea FC USA say, we've gone fishing. Love that one. I think that's my favourite of the week. Oh, actually, though, this is also kind of my favourite of the week. I'm going to have two. This is from uh, Damian Marshall, curse officially 
broken. See what he did there? But the best bit is there is a GIF attached to this which says it's a call number and it says call free 1888 Big Fish. I'm obsessed. I'm going to be using that GIF a lot, I think, over the next couple of years. Uh, Meg says Neve Charles shines. Um, Megan says first game win, question mark, question mark, question mark. And Rich says broke the curse. Abdullah, what are you going for for your three word match review? I'm going to be extremely honest with you here. I totally forgot that we were going to do three word match reviews. It's been so long since we've done a game. But uh, I will, uh, off the cuff, I will go, um, uh, I, I will say major advantage Chelsea just because of the fact that Arsenal lost the other teams are looking iffy and Chelsea with a big, big win against uh, a team that, like you said, I think will probably su- probably surprise a few few people, especially once they get you know the likes of like Beth England back in the side. So uh, yeah, major advantage Chelsea. I am going to go with got it done. Because I think we'll talk about this and there, I think, are things that are really interesting to break down in this performance. But Hayes had t- talked about it earlier in the week. I think everyone knew it, that ultimately, not even looking at what en- went on elsewhere, it was just so crucial for Chelsea to end this, you know, bizarre run of, of opening day losses. I think obviously it helped that we were at home, you know, the the two games we've lost and then the one we drew against United, they were all played uh, as away fixtures. Um, but it just felt like this was like such a silly thing that had become a thing. Um, and I felt like whatever happened, they just needed to make sure that they, they won. And obviously they did that. So there we go. The curse is officially broken, as Damien said. Um, let's take a quick ad break here then, and we will get into the lineup. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're bored of US streaming services, why not take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and at the click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue you know, like the name of the podcast, to get a huge discount off of your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. Threat protection, they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll send you a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never happened, just like Chelsea's 2022-2023 season. Check out my link at nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. Nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. So Abdullah, this was an interesting lineup. I think it's fair to say. I kind of, I was on the tube because I went to the Emirates first, was on the tube and some signal popped up for me and suddenly I went on Twitter and everyone was like, oh my God, what is this collection of players? 
Um, we had Zachira Musevich in goal. Marmielda, Millie Bright, Jess Carter and Neve Charles as a sort of back four, quasi back three. We can chat about that a little bit. Ingle and Shukanuskin together in, in the double pivot. Um, we can also talk about that a little bit. Lauren James at the 10, Guru Wrighton, Johanna Ritten-Kanerod and me official. Um, no Sam Kerr or Aaron Cuthbert available, though Hayes did imply they should be back next week for Manchester City. Who knows? I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, she also said Kat Makara would be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I mean, who knows how many weeks that is again? That's Emma Hayes' business, ultimately. What did you make of uh, this lineup? What kind of stood out to you? I think the fullbacks. I think that was the most surprising thing for me. And and maybe Canarid, but maybe not so much on, on reflection. But like having playing Marin Mielda and Neve Charles as your fullbacks of the first game when you have Eve Perise and Ashley Lawrence on the bench, I was just like, wait, what? We we spent the entire summer raving and going on about how we we finally got like some legit fullbacks and like how this is going to be the the, the future of Chelsea and suddenly Emma Hayes goes, you know what people, just calm down, I'm gonna humble you for a second. We're gonna play Marimelda and Neve Charles as our as our fullbacks and then suddenly you know they they obviously performed better than we thought. Um, but it was just wild to me to see those two and then obviously even just to see Zachira start, which. I think we talked about it have in earlier during the Roma episode that I guess the World Cup did have a part to play and who would start and everything but I think I think probably I think most of us thought that AKB would probably start the season off as first choice and then slowly gives the Chira that chance to come in but to kind of give the Chira the first game um maybe is an indication of of, of what it is and I think I think Zichira's being picked I think was indicative of the entire team because I don't think a few days ago we would have envisioned this assortion of 11 players to kind of play together as the first game of the season I mean I don't know about you it kind of gives me second team vibes a little bit to to an extent like this is the team that you rotate for a cup competition not for a WSL game um but I think at the at the end of the day it also showed me that We've got a lot of depth now. When you don't have no Cat, no Aaron, and no Sam on your bench, and looking at the bench that we had, I mean, that's some insane depth over there. So, you know what? Glad this team won. But yeah, the fullbacks, Canarid, Zichira, they're all just kind of like, okay, you know, weird flex, but fine. Yeah, I think, you know, there are a couple of players in this who felt sort of obvious. I think most people expected that Millie Bryant and Jess Carter would start. I think most people are aware that Sam Kerr probably wasn't going to be ready for this one, so Mia would get a debut. LJ and Guru also feel pretty nailed on. So it's just that kind of, yeah, I think the choice of fullbacks was uh, surprising. Canarid being in, definitely surprising. Um, and I think that midfield is going to feel up for grabs a lot this season. Um, I My kind of take on it is that and obviously we saw this in Hayes's pretty much presser. She she had a, a long question, well, she had a long answer to a question from Emma Sanders at the BBC about sort of injuries. And she did a very Emma-like um, kind of dramatic analysis on the question, which was super informative. Um, and we also included several plugs for her audiobook, which I absolutely respect that hustle. Um, but she was talking a lot about players sort of coming back from minutes and that being a really like stressful time um in terms of like on players bodies and and that can affect injuries and 
to me, this lineup really felt like there was a big prioritization of health going on, you know, in terms of looking at players like Ashley Lawrence, for example, who'd been playing matches on the other side of the world, um, Jesse Fleming as well, obviously, um, you know, players who where there were opportunities for players who were maybe fresher, who hadn't traveled as far that they were going to gonna start instead, you know, equally someone like Frank Kirby, who just hasn't played any competitive minutes realistically over sort of the past six to eight months. Um, but I think it was interesting as well. I felt like to an extent, and there was also opportunity for players here to kind of make a case for themselves. And I think some players did that really well. You know, we'll probably chat a bit about Neve Charles's performance, but, you know, She's somebody who's seen a lot of players come in in her position over the past couple of years, you know, not just this year, but last season. And I think she really showed that she can and should start in, in big games, in all games. Um, And then maybe at the other end of the spectrum, Johanna Rissin-Cannery didn't manage to quite make her case in the same way. Um, So there was some, yeah, some different, differing levels of performance, I think, going on within this, even within the slightly surprising players um just go through the Spurs lineup quickly because I think it's kind of important to talk about how the game played out Becky Spencer was in goal uh, Molly Bartrip and Luana Bula in at centre-back with Ash Neville on the left Angahara James on the right they had a midfield three of Drew Spence Olga Artinen and Evelina Sumaninen then they had Grace Clinton and Celine Bizet as kind of these sort of free tens it was sort of a Christmas tree formation with Martha Thomas up up top um I enjoyed the Martha Thomas versus Millie Bright rematch after they had kind of some beef together in the England-Scotland game where Martha Thomas felt like she got a penalty. And I think that that battle was renewed quite a lot in this one. But I don't know what was interesting to me about the Spurs lineup and sort of how it affected the way Chelsea played was that natural overload they had in midfield by having those three midfielders and kind of naturally, you know, obviously with James she is going to be someone who's going to sort of push up more and be more part of that attacking line. And it felt like there at points that was quite a lot for Sophie Ingle and Shukunuskun to deal with just kind of tactically. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think to, to an extent, Spurs even decided at differing times and obviously with timing, but Celine Bizet and Grace Clinton even came into midfield and kind of overloaded it even more. Sometimes you almost had like a 5v2 at times, just because of the way, or 4v2, with the way they were coming inside and playing really narrow and allowing uh, Ashley Neville and, and, and James to kind of push up into the fullback areas to give them a little bit of width. So I think they definitely prioritized closing down the central areas because I think they knew that Lauren James is probably the most important player. And I guess that's a respect to Lauren James in terms of, like, we need to really close this down because we know what she can do. Um but I think it was uh, it was a tough game for Shukunuskin and, and Sophie Engel. I, I thought I thought the first half they were a little bit off the pace, a little bit. The first you know first maybe twenty minutes, I thought I thought Spurs were um, Spurs were decent against them over there, and I thought the overloads were getting to them at different parts of the game. I think as the game wore on, Shukunuskin really came into her own and started winning tackles and winning transition game and and really putting Chelsea in, in a better position. And I think a lot of um, what we came to expect from from Nuskin, I think, was was being shown as the game wore on before she came off, and I think I thought Sophie Ingle uh, kind of improved as well. I thought her passing was decent, and I think just kind of supporting Shuka to do what she needs to do and kind of hovering around her in terms of pressing support or just kind of cleaning up in behind if any balls did go in. I thought she did that really well, but 
I think it highlights the need to to bring Aaron Cuthbert back in the side as soon as possible because while Shirk has showed her quality, I think she needs someone next to her that can help her while she still gets used to the, used to the league because let's not forget, she is very, very young. Though I thought there were times in this game where she looked older than her age suggested and she looked like a proper experienced player coming in at the age of 26, 27 playing in this midfield. But no, she's, you know, she, she's obviously much younger. Um, so I, th- I think I think that was probably where I thought Chelsea struggled a little bit in ter- initially to get a, gr- a grasp of the game. But I think once they started getting gaining more control, I think once Lauren Jane started playing a little bit more freely, dropping into deeper positions, receiving possession, Chelsea were able to kind of control the play a, little, a bit more because neither Sophie or Shuka, I think, have this expansive range of passing that can kind of go really far forward and, and do it really well. So with Lauren coming in and kind of taking up that role and receiving them a little bit shorter, I thought really played a part in... Uh, and then obviously her ability to drive forward with the ball always helps. So her ability to be able to do that, I thought, was um, was key as the game won. Because I think I thought that first 20 minutes, I thought Spurs were uh, really had a little bit of Chelsea's number and they were matching them quite well. Yeah, and I think definitely with Nuskin, it felt like there was some... Um early nerves in in that performance and definitely I felt like there were points where she seemed kind of in tune with the intensity and level of the game and there were other points where she kind of let that get away from her and I think you could see that her and Ingle didn't necessarily have the relationship that that they needed in order because it wasn't like one was just sat and the other one was going they were kind of trying to switch that around and I think it's kind of natural early on obviously in building a relationship with someone that you're not always gonna get that right and I do have like a bit of a question mark in terms of sort of how exactly whether exactly that's a role that still works for Ingle especially in a game like this where Spurs really were able to outnumber us in that in that area of the pitch I feel like Ingle feels like someone who needs to be sort of protected quite a lot. Um, but Nuskin also was having quite a lot of turnovers due to the pressure that was that was being put on them. And I think that was obviously what was then consequently putting pressure on on Chelsea's back line. Um, the back line itself was was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because I think if you look at a pass map, it does it does look like a back three, but it didn't it didn't really feel like that to me being there I don't know what you think Adelaide it did feel quite clearly that that Neve Charles was sort of playing as a left back um it was just that she had a lot more of a license to get forward knowing we saw this quite a lot last last year as well you know this rotating back four so you have I guess this is advantage of having someone like Mielder on the pitch and, and maybe that's a role that Jess Carter will potentially play at other points in the season but you know someone who can play fullback and centre-back to rotate round um but you also saw Charles doing a lot of the dirty work as well in that real like defensive area it wasn't this kind of concept of like oh she's the wing back and you know if people get into the space behind her that's it it was like no she tracks back but um I was looking at the stats seven progressive carries for for Neve no other Chelsea player got more than one during the game Obviously, she gets both assists for the the two goals as well. Um, it was a really, really good performance. You know, for me as an England fan, I was watching it thinking, why the fuck did I just spend the summer watching Rachel Daly play sort of left left fullback, left wing back when Neve Charles was sat on the bench? 
yeah i was so impressed I, I she was she was my my favorite on the night i i thought she put in a hell of a performance i mean the fact that she ran up and down the wing for 90 minutes and just looked like she was able to do it for another 20 25 minutes i thought was absolutely insane and she finally looks like a a natural fullback now more more than she did in the last couple of seasons it felt like she was this converted winger into a fullback kind of playing out of position learning how to play wing back fullback but i think those two years of turmoil and kind of practice of playing in a position where she wasn't comfortable with in the beginning there was a lot of mistakes there was a lot of alert it was a big learning curve obviously emma hayes persisted with it and i feel like this game has come into a point where she's like yeah i'm Neve Charles and I am a I am a left back and and now you just look at this you look at her play as this inverted attacking wing back fullback and you're like you look ready made for the position and maybe this is why um, Emma didn't sign a natural left back because I, I maybe she just believed in 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 Neve Charles's ability to play as her naturally left sided fullback for her and you have this you have this Eve Perisay Ashley Lawrence. And Neve Charles is your three wing, uh, three fullbacks, and if that's the case, then you're going to get enough minutes for the three of them across the two positions because you're you're going to need them at uh, at different points of the season. But I thought I thought she played really well. This whole quasi back here you talked about, I think, is correct. Like, I think if Chelsea want to play against teams where they want to overload one side and they really want to push forward, then they can do this sort of thing where. Um, you have a semi center back slash fullback playing on on one side, and you allow the opposite side player to kind of push forward. But in this case, the way she played, the fact that she dropped back and was able to defend her position and defend her line, I don't think that I saw Celine Bizet uh, on the right hand side overload Neve Charles. I thought Neve was was perfectly in control of that entire situation, no matter how many times she went for it. I mean, seven progressive carries. I mean, her dribbling was insane last night. I mean, just the the dribble to get past for the for the first cross from Fisher's goal, I thought was some great piece of play. And to me, that summed up her improvement over the summer and over the last year of her her ability to play in the wide. And the fact that she used to play at like right wing, and now she's playing on the opposite side as like this inverted inside fullback. And to be able to produce a, a cross like that, especially even for the second goal, with the accuracy and, and, the, and, and with everything else, I thought was incredible. And... Most importantly, she looks tactically intelligent now. She knows that she's got a lot better with her decision-making. She's able to kind of get it up and down, know when to push, when to press, when not to press. Obviously, there's still a little bit of growth to go, but, I mean, the the improvement that she's shown in the last, in this game and obviously this summer, um, not sure why Serena didn't see this, but uh, I, th- I think England have finally got their uh, left-back situation sorted right there. Yeah, I mean, who knows with Serena Wiegmann, it's definitely once once someone's in, they kind of seem to be stuck in there. Um, but it'd definitely be be putting thoughts in their head. I'm, I'm sure, you know, obviously, Neve's already made her way into that, that squad having missed out for the Euros. Um, so it'd be definitely be interesting to see how she progresses from here. Uh, obviously, yeah, Neve got the assist for the Mia official opener. Great header uh, from the big fish herself. Um great celebration as well just so amazing to see someone who's obviously a very genuine Chelsea fan look absolutely buzzing to be be scoring at Stamford Bridge um I think it was a goal that I don't know if we deserved but it definitely felt like a goal that was coming and it felt really important to have scored before half time I think if we'd gone to half time nil nil I'd have started to feel a bit 
more nervous, but it felt like that, like that settled the team quite a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think the, once the goal came, the team just changed their complexion. I think it was just that opening day nerves, you know, it was practically a brand new team out on the pitch playing together for the first time. Um, everybody was trying to get used to each other. What do we do in match situations? But I think once, obviously Lauren hit the bar a couple of times, but I think once the first goal went in, I think those nerves kind of just went away and they were really able to kind of settle and go, okay, cool. We've got the first goal. We know we can create. We're going to start, we can start to sort of relax and get those patterns of play going. I mean, some of the interchange play between um, Mia and the players around it, Lauren, Guru, uh, and to, to Celestix and Canarit, I thought was was exceptional. Um, and I think in our WhatsApp group, I think, I think Nick said that Mia was quite isolated with the two centre-backs, but I really felt like, Rather than when it happens to Sam and it really feels like she's isolated, I think this is a bit more of a deliberate ploy because she's look seems a lot physically stronger than Sam. And the way she her back to goal play, we talked about it in her episode. Her back to goal play was really good. Her able to just kind of hold off the center backs, receive the ball, and just make those nice cute passes in and around. I thought that was a huge change in shift in the way Chelsea were playing. And I thought it brought a new dynamic for them. So I think those those dynamics and those patterns only really came to the fore once Chelsea settled and the nerves went away. And kind of like you said, with Sugar Niskin getting those nerves and getting used to the intensity, I think that was kind of shared by the team itself. First game, Stamford Bridge, you know, what do we do? So um, definitely helped to get that that goal. And, and then from there, Chelsea just kind of really looked to settle and just look a lot more calmer and better as, as, they, as the game progressed. Yeah, and I think a really interesting facet of that was sort of Lauren James's role. And I think there's a bit of, you know, dispute over whether James is best as a 10 or best on the right. She did an interview with Karen Carney in the week where she said she prefers playing at the 10. I definitely think she finds it easier to get involved in games when she's at the 10. And I thought this performance said a lot about what she'd taken from the summer. I think she looked a lot more confident sort of to go, especially as the game you know, from that sort of half hour moment onwards to really like start to dictate play a little bit more to choose when to drop to pick up the ball. Um, interestingly, she had the most attacking sequence involvements, but that wasn't really chances created. Eight of those were shots, um, which I think tells you as well, she's in the areas where she wants to shoot more. She obviously got the, the second goal as well after half time. Um, and, you know, her link up with Fischl was also something that was really exciting. Um it's going to be really interesting, Adela, to see how she develops within this squad this year because I feel like you could really see her start to be like a really like all-round sort of domineering force. I felt like before, you know, in other Chelsea games, maybe last season, it would be like, oh, we're going to wait and at some point LJ might have this flash of brilliance. Whereas I did feel like yesterday it was very much, she was like, no, like I'm going to go around and you're going to give me the ball and, and then I'm going to start doing things. Yeah, you're right. I, I felt like the team was geared to be built around Lauren James rather than before. I was like, all right, we'll just, you playing and if you do something great, then fantastic, you can bail us out. I actually think that, um, I, have, I, have a, I have a theory where I think that the team when Lauren is when when Sam isn't playing, I feel like Lauren will be moved out to the to to the right wing where she was playing last season, because then the team has to cater towards both. But I think a little bit more with Sam playing up front to kind of adjust to her movement and the way she plays. But I think 
games where we don't have Sam and we have Mia playing, I feel like we're going to get more of LJ at number 10 because I feel like from that position, she's able to kind of influence and dictate the play a lot more in the central areas. And she has that freedom to kind of roam across the line without worrying about leaving too much space anywhere. Because when you've got a midfield of like, let's say Aaron and Shuka Nuskin at some point, that should be enough to hold her own as a double pivot with allowing James to kind of rotate and play this free role as this number 10. Whereas I think if you're playing, and then when you have the hard worker in Mia who's there to facilitate link up play with Lauren James and the players around her, more so than actually looking to score, I think you can afford to do that. Whereas I think when you have Sam in there, it's going to be a little bit different where you're going to facilitate the Sam and ask Lauren to kind of come inside and almost play next to Sam from a wider position. So then you can kind of facilitate both in there. And obviously Sam wants to make those runs in behind. Um, but I mean, if we're going to get more of Lauren yesterday, I, f- I feel like that is, that is, that is, that is the one. And, and you said like the most attacking sequences. Yeah. She was getting into positions where she was shooting a lot more. We've seen those edge of the box shots that she had that hit the post and just went over the post. Uh, a few times last season, but I felt like she was getting to those positions more. I mean, I was just looking at um, our our Twitter page that just posted up a clip of Gur- of uh, Mia and Lauren kind of having this link up play, and Lauren was finding so much was able to get into the box and find these pockets and get these shots away, which is as a result of the players kind of feeding the ball into her and into these pockets of space and 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 allowing her to get into those positions. So. The game was definitely geared towards all right. Get Lauren into these in these goal scoring positions and let her create. Um, uh, you know, let her be at the end of these chances that we start creating. And I feel like Mia Fischel is probably the perfect striker to unleash the uh, to unleash the power of Lauren James. And this is even before we have Sam and and Fran coming into the starting eleven. Yeah, and this is something that we talked about a lot, right? When we did our Mia Fischel. Uh, sort of analysis episode um, with Theo, which you guys can go back and listen to if you haven't already, but talking about how, you know, Fischl's goals is something that I think is like really globally caught the eye. But actually, if you like go back and watch her at Tigress, like so much is about also facilitating the players around her. And even within this this game uh, at Spurs, you know, like obviously we saw them play together a little bit in the Roma preseason and then they've played games behind closed doors since then. But you really saw even within that game how much their relationship was building. There were some like lovely sort of little touches and layoffs to each other around the edge of the box. And that was actually a real intricacy from Lauren James that I don't know if we've really seen. I think we've seen a lot of, you know, Lauren James can do the dribbly thing. She can do that or why she can do that through the middle. We've seen Lauren James can take shots from the edge of the box. But that kind of like real like more small scale interplay with one other player you know she's such a solo artist a lot of the time I thought that was really interesting to see um those two two working together um and it feels like they've just got good vibes I mean look me official went to Lauren James's birthday party so the connection is there off the pitch as well as on the pitch and that's what we like to see let's just talk about the the second goal quickly um one I've got to say Johanna Rittenkanrod really made me laugh watching this back with for her attempt at scoring it in the first place. Um, that was like a real like FIFA press the buzzer, buttons and like sort of lots of things happen and then nothing happens. Um, Guru's goal, which then was like eventually poked in, that 100% crossed the line. I could tell that crossed the line from where I sat. So I don't know why that wasn't given, but I have so much respect for this woman who was celebrating arms out. This was like, you know when people are like, this is what you should so- show 
children. It's always show children and adults because my biggest bugbear is when people don't play to the whistle. She knew it hadn't been given. And so she starts the move for the goal itself. Arms still wide. Like, that is how you do it, guys. Celebrate your goal that you you know should have stood because you saw it. But then just create it so it doesn't matter anyway. And obviously, you know, she passes that ball, dribbles the ball out, passes it to Neve Charles. He puts a, a lovely cross in for, for Lauren James then eventually to... Uh, to I don't really know how to describe it. It was like a side-footed volley, basically, into the back of the net. Yeah, it was crazy. I thought the ball crossed the line as well. I'm like, all right, they're giving the goal, not giving goal. It was almost like that extended, are you giving the goal, not giving the goal? And Aguru kind of does like a multitasking of like checking the ref's face. Are you going to give it? But continues her run towards the ball. So it's really switched on. Um, I think everybody just kind of semi-froze for about half a second while the ball was still in play. Like, are we getting the goal? No, yes, no. Um... But the presence of mind to be half celebrating, half still getting onto the ball, passing it out to, to Neve and, and then getting that, 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 that beautiful cross, you know, cross field uh, diagonal um, into the path of Lauren James to kind of get, I feel bad that should have been Guru's goal. I mean, it was quite clearly over the line. I mean, like Ashley Neville's face was just like in hope more than anything else of like, you're going to give it, aren't you? Like, you're going to give it. And then when they didn't, I think when she did, when they didn't give it, I think she was shocked and she quickly got up and got back onto, onto the goal line. But yeah, no, I, I thought the second goal was, um, was quite, uh, was quite deserved. I think that entire play from the buildup of the, the ghost goal versus, you know, the, the end of the second goal. I thought that entire sequence was just showing Chelsea pressure. And I thought that was kind of the, the, if, the epitome of their dominance in the game in that moment and to show that, all right, cool, even though we didn't get the first goal, that was the ghost goal, um, we, you know, we can continue and, 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 and just create another chance in an instant and go. I mean, I would have loved to have seen, probably not, but I would, you know, it would be fascinating to see the Emma Hayes and everyone's reaction if that ball had gone out of play and that goal did not stand. Uh, there would have been a huge uproar in terms of... Uh, the goal not being given and we'd be talking about it for a while justifiably so we would have but you know i'm just glad that we ended up scoring anyway um uh from that opportunity and, and just kind of put the game to bed so to speak at, at that time yeah i thought it was a great attitude to, to carry on and and obviously this kind of came uh about what when was this goal about five minutes after half time and i definitely think you saw that chelsea came out with this real extra intensity from then I'm just looking at sort of the attacking threat graph that the analysts put out and you know that sort of 10 minute period after half time was definitely sort of Chelsea's most threatening of the game it really felt like they kind of had a bit of a rocket up their ass but I think also just showed that like the the bits of the game that were infuriating we're going to come on and talk about that after after we've just finished talking about this is was they didn't it didn't freak me out as much because it just felt like you knew there was this other level that was available to go to if necessary. And we really saw that in that that first 10 minute period. And like, obviously, you want to see a team like show up with loads of intensity. But I think given what a lot of players have gone through in terms of the travel and kind of these interrupted preseasons, um, again, it just felt like getting everyone through the game, getting everyone through those first, you know, proper competitive minutes was, was really crucial. And obviously they got that done. Um, let's take another ad break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk a bit more about sort of Spurs getting back into this game, their goal and how we closed out from kind of 60 minutes onwards. 
so despite being 2-0 up, as we kind of just were, were talking about, there was this sort of vague up and down in terms of, of Chelsea's intensity. They kind of came out all guns blazing um, at the start of the second half and then they quietened down a bit. And then they had Melanie Leupold and Frank Kirby came on. Obviously amazing to see Frank Kirby back on the pitch. He got an amazing reception and the intensity sort of went up again and then it, it dropped again. And... Spurs started to get back into the game and as part of that, Grace Clinton took a shot and Zachira, she saves it, but it sort of like is saved at her feet and then she tries to like hold onto it with her feet. It's really bizarre. Um, and then Martha Thomas just basically kicks it through her feet um, to get the goal back. Zachira's mistake, I think, was really frustrating because, because she actually, I thought, had a really good game. Um... She made a number of good saves. She made saves that I feel like she's really improved on in the past year or so. Um, Her sort of long-range saves and her 1v1s are things that I've kind of felt concerned about in the past, and she did really well there. She had the best post-shot XG um, differential in the league from this weekend. So the post-shot XG was 2.1%. and hers, uh, and she obviously only conceded one goal, and the goal that she conceded, the post shot actually was, was obviously not point nine nine because like you basically like she just blasted into the middle of goal. Um, Musovic made nine saves, also the most in the league. Not sure what all of that says about how well we defended this game. Um, and I will say also on the like sort of nine saves, Spurs took quite a lot of long range efforts, which she dealt with quite well. Um, but it's just annoying, Abdullah, isn't it? Because this kind of sort of palming balls into her path is something that she she does quite a lot. And again, it just feels like a goal and pressure that's of your goalkeeper's own making. Yeah, it was it, it it's 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 quite frustrating. I was reading a post today, somebody had put it on on on, on Twitter saying that Zachira, when she's she can be a world-class goalkeeper, but she will make the stupidest mistakes. Like, it's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, you can see her making, like, you look at the game against the USA for Sweden, right? Or Arsenal last year. She was fantastic. Yeah, she makes the saves that she needs to make. And when she's on it, she's on it. She'll save everything. But then there are times where you have the simplest, the absolute simplest catch or the simplest save to make, and she'll make a mess of it. And it's like... That's probably the most frustrating part, especially last night where, yeah, the shot from Grace Clinton came in, but it was quite tamed from the length that it was shot at. Should have been an easy catch rather than a palm. And she just kind of made a mess of it. And you can't say anything other than it was a cheering mistake. And um, it's it's that part of her game, I think, where she needs to improve because she shows for like 70 minutes that she's a class goalkeeper this is why i'm a haste picker for to be the number one for for the game and, and everything and then when you make a mistake like that you're like yeah you know it's like it's like you know you you don't want her to develop a reputation more so than it is now of being like you've got plenty of saves in you but you've also got a mistake in you right you've you've got that you've got that howler in you and um and i feel like yes we got away with it yesterday but in big games, if that were to happen, you may not be as as lucky. And I think that's probably the only problem I have with this entire thing. And, and I, I mean, for the defending in general, to your point, it was a relatively, um, you know, the, the back four has been playing together for a while in different positions, possibly. But um, I guess it was the first game back. Everyone's kind of getting used to each other. You know, 
We don't know what happened in the other preseason games. We don't know who started the back four in those preseason games. It could have been that Ashley Lawrence started every single game after Roma, and then she doesn't start this game, right? For example, or Eve Paris A did the same thing. Um, so that that becomes a, that becomes a question mark. But I'll ignore the defending because I feel like when Millie and Jess are up to scratch and they've got the match fitness for the season, I feel like they'll control the, the defense and they'll make it sturdy and they'll make it um, they'll make it good. And maybe once we have uh, even there and and Ashley maybe become a lot more sturdy but um, yeah I, I feel like in these sort of situations you want your goalkeeper to be a bit more solid your goalkeeper to bail you out of situations um, like these sort of games and, and 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 really take control of those those sort of deliveries but I guess it is what it is yeah I think there's a couple of things obviously we've talked about sort of rotation and players minutes and I think someone who really is gonna maybe need a break at, the, at some point is Millie um, I know she obviously had a big break towards the end of last season because of the injury, um, but then sort of, sort of came straight back, played obviously this very intense role in the in the World Cup, and then is someone obviously Hayes relies on. She's got the captaincy now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because I do think you've seen kind of in some of her England performances especially that she looks quite tired, and I thought she played like fine yesterday, but I think that's something that... Um, that will hopefully at some point she might get some kind of rest because you know she's going to carry on playing non-stop for England in the international breaks at this point, um, uh, especially with Williamson out while she's kind of captaining. Um, I did feel like in terms of sort of losing control of the game, that that did sort of come from the combination, I think, of substitutes from a lack of concentration maybe as a result of not playing as many competitive fixtures. Um, but I think what was good was them being able to turn to the bench and, and bring more players on. So obviously, yeah, Kirby and Lopots had come on before the goal and then straight after the goal, we had Jesse Fleming and Ash Lawrence come on. And that was, I don't think they immediately made an impact, but the real turning point actually for me was when Chankovic came on, just because I think she suddenly provided this really exciting threat going forward that Spurs were forced to think about again. And it also allowed Lawrence to go and play at right back, whereas she was sort of again in this kind of quasi wing back position when she initially came on. Abdullah, this is kind of the advantage, which obviously we're lucky to have at the start of the season and touch wood, we have it as long as the season goes on. Um, of having this like very stacked bench that you do have these players who can come in and and they suddenly force your opponents to to not think about going forward as much to to consider um you know defending and Chankovic did actually score it was given for offside I mean I think it was debatable Fischl was offside and she kind of was in the goalkeeper's line of vision but for me I like I I don't really think that should count as an offside like she didn't touch the ball I know they kind of said. She made a play for the ball as well, but I think she was, my view was she was trying to get out of the way. She was kind of biased. I mean, ultimately it doesn't matter because we won. Um, but that kind of like speaks to to the threat that sort of Chankovic offered when she came on the pitch. I've been calling Chankovic since preseason, so I will say mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so excited when she came on. I, I thought her impact was fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and she looked uh, comfortable in this, not the 10, but a bit more of a deeper role as a more of a number eight. And, and even against Roma, she looked so good in that position. I really feel like there, the games where we need this impact sub off the bench, um, I think... Uh, I think I think she's gonna give us so much. I I've, I really I'm really glad that we held on to her this summer and because there could have been a very good chance that she leaves looking at all the players at the end. She goes, right, I'm out of here. I want to go start somewhere else. But 
I think you can tell that she's kind of improved and she's settled in this Chelsea side and she's settled into the team and the culture and the what Emma Hayes wants because I thought in that 15, 20 minute cameo that she had yesterday, there was just so much there. There was energy, there was movement, there was creativity. Also, she was buzzing around those half spaces a lot, you know, and, and kind of gave gave Chelsea a real push in those in those moments where where uh, where they wanted to kind of hurt Spurs and and I thought she made a really good run into the box for that for that offside goal, um to, to get on the end of it, um so yeah I'm I'm happy with um the way she performed and and, and listen if we're gonna get this version of Kankovic this season then I I can foresee her really upping her goal contributions overall and 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 kind of get, uh, speaks to the volumes of players that we can bring on I mean. If you're playing a Man City and, you know, 65th minute, 70th minute, you see Kankovic and Frank Kirby coming on for Lauren James and Kuro Wrighton, for example, then uh, I'd be scared. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this is someone who I, I, we will see get more minutes and it, it's really exciting. And obviously, you know, her influence and that of all the team helped us see out the game at 2-1 um, with a very large amount of added time going on um which was kind of frustrating but we got there in the end just want to finish off today by talking about the attendance because um it obviously is something that's caught the eye uh there was an attendance of 14,776 at Stamford Bridge um obviously that was in very stark contrast to Arsenal who had 54,115 I mean there's Arsenal normally report tickets sold. There's some suggestion there wasn't quite that many people there, but trust me, there was a hell of a lot more people there than was there at Stamford Bridge. Um, even Aston Villa had 12,500 uh, 12 at Villa Park. I think it's frustrating because, one, it's really annoying because opposition fans go on and on about it, and I think it's especially galling when Arsenal couldn't even get a win and just played sort of total dross in front of all those people. Um I personally would prefer to to win games and have loads of people there, but I would really like to win games in front of loads of people there, um, which I think is why it's kind of like understandably rattles people, myself included. Abdullah, what do we do from this point? I know obviously it's a bit different from you. You're not here in England, so you don't have the same kind of uh, experience, but we've obviously seen a number of different factors going on and, the reality is, is Chelsea have had a lot more fans at Stamford Bridge games than this in the past. There were many more fans than this the last time we sp played Spurs at Stamford Bridge, many more when we played Barcelona. Um, it's The attendances are going down and some of the things that have been suggested have been ticket prices. That's obviously been a popular Twitter thing, the sort of urban legend that we're charging £50 a pop for anyone to get into Stamford Bridge also not true um but i don't know is like do we think marketing's a factor because i don't go to stanford bridge that often for men's games but every time i watch them on tv all that's being advertised at stanford bridge around the hoardings is to go and watch the women so i've got to the point where i'm starting to be a bit flummoxed by it all yeah i'm i'm, I'm confused as well I, I feel like ever since the new owners have arrived the marketing for the women's team has actually gone up but like you said the attendances are going down i don't know if it's because the the whole thing around the ownership and people, you know, maybe boycotting and not going, I don't know, could be a reason, but, um, and, and, you know, I, I, like you, I keep hearing about ticket prices, but then when you say that, well, it's not really that much different to, to what people are claiming it to be, then, um, I don't know. I, I think it's weird because I think, I think 
the Barcelona games, uh, the game, sorry, and then maybe the 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 ones in the Champions League we played PSG at Stamford Bridge last year. I think being a couple of months into the season and, and Barcelona being the back end of the season, I think I just it just felt maybe a little bit more. People were invested in the in 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 the women's team because it was towards the end they knew that they were riding high, semi final of a Champions League. They're going far in the WSL, you know, and maybe that kind of prompted people to kind of head out to head out to the stadiums a little bit more. Whereas, but, you know, considering kind of the way they've played, the, the names that they've brought in and the players that they brought in, I'm surprised that there weren't more people. It really did feel um, kind of kind of kind of very empty uh, in that sense. Honestly, it's 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 a weird one. I I can I can actually think of a, a logical answer as to why this. Is, I guess maybe we could probably make a bit more of a better assessment the next time they play at Stamford Bridge when I think that's in November December if I if I'm not mistaken. So if we see the similar sort of attendance then then I probably think we can try and maybe pinpoint a, a more concrete reason. But if it goes up, then you can literally just come you know call it down to the first game of the season. Maybe people didn't go. They were like, okay, do we want to go watch the women's team? And I think. Once they start picking up more wins and they start playing more high-profile performances and Sam Kerr comes back, Frank Kirby plays a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera, possibly then we start seeing more people go, oh, okay, cool, let's go and watch them in, in, in during the Christmas period. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because, I mean, it's tough to talk about on a Chelsea women-specific podcast because the chances are, if you're listening to this, you either went to Stamford Bridge or, for whatever reason, you are unable to go and it's unrelated to the fact that you clearly support Chelsea women because otherwise you wouldn't be here listening to us talk for the best part of an hour about our first game of the season. But there's obviously, I think, a disconnect between the number of people who go and watch the men at Stamford Bridge and they're not that interested in the women. Now, I've long thought that Arsenal's increase in popularity has been linked a lot to the Arsenal men's team doing well. People want to be in and around the Emirates. The vibes are much, much better, obviously, on the men's side. And you can tell when you go to their games that lots of the people there are really regular match-going fans, as well as sort of then getting the families and the TikTok girlies and all that kind of vibe. And I think that feels like the biggest thing that Chelsea have sort of on their doorstep and and are missing. Um, And it's kind of fascinating in some ways as well, because in Lauren James, you've got the perfect sort of link into the women's team. You know, you've got a better link there than, than you have ever and I have anecdotally heard of a lot of Chelsea men's fans including one of my the builders of my house recently who said they started watching the women's team they did start watching the women's team because they were so fed up of watching the men's lose but it doesn't feel like that's actually translated to wanting to go to games um and it's going to be interesting to see yeah how that how that changes Liverpool is the next one at Stamford Bridge maybe that's a game that will get people more excited but on the face of it Spurs is you know, Spurs should be an exciting game traditionally uh, for just Chelsea men's fans, but maybe they maybe they've cottoned on enough to know that Spurs are pretty rubbish. So maybe Liverpool being potentially slightly better might get more people involved. Maybe just being further into the season will make people more aware of it. Maybe Chelsea men will have won some games by then and people will be more excited about going. Um, but if you know anyone who could have been there and wasn't, please persuade them because they just deserve like. The beef with other clubs is annoying, but ultimately it's just sad to watch a team that talented and that successful 
playing in front of a crowd that small, ultimately, at a big stadium. They deserve more people to turn out for them, um, even if it does cost 15, 20 quid. Um, I understand that, obviously, you know, you can't just sort of, not everyone's going to have all of, all of the money to, to go there, but there's also, I think, a lot of people who, who could show up and they could support more. And you kind of see that because the Arsenal ticket prices aren't much lower than the than the Chelsea ones. Um, and obviously they, the club does ultimately have to raise money uh, at some point in order to open the stadium. So it's going to be an interesting one to see how it develop. It's very hard, I think, to come up with a with a clear answer and maybe the club will hit on a magic formula at some point. Let's just wrap up this game then with... Abdullah, I want a hot take from this match for you. And I want a player of the match. Okay. You. My player of the match is Neve Charles. I just thought she was fantastic. And, and, and yep, yeah, that that kind of I mean surprised me. My hot take is Neve Charles is the starting left back by mid season, undisputed. Ahead of yes. Parasite, That's you want a Lawrence? hot take? You, you yeah, want a hot wow. take? I'll give you no hot it's take. Hot. It's, it's hot. It's, it's frying. We're burning. We're cooking. My hot take isn't really Chelsea related, but I do think Spurs are going to surprise some teams this season. I was actually, we haven't really talked about Spurs that much, but I was quietly impressed, especially by their midfield. I think they will disrupt a lot of other midfields. I think defensively, they've got some working out to do. I'm not sure about Ang Hara James playing at right back. I don't think that's really the vibe. But I thought Ash Neville, I thought it was the right decision to return her to left back. I thought Grace Clinton looked great. She's someone who I was really looking forward to see get regular minutes for Spurs. I'm honestly kind of surprised United have let her go on loan because I do think she could even do a job there, but they've, they've got a lot of attacking players in at the moment. Um, and I think Martha Thomas is always a nuisance and I think she'll be she'll continue to be a nuisance until Beth England comes back. Um, so yeah, my my take was that maybe I should have boosted Spurs up my, my pre-season rankings potentially a little <laughs> bit more, but it's kind of exciting to see. Um, and we've beaten them now, so if they're going to go and take points of other people, that's fine. Um, okay, so elsewhere, obviously we've already said Arsenal lost. They lost 1-0 to Liverpool at the Emirates. Miri Taylor making the difference there. Brighton went 2-0 up against Everton and Elizabeth Turland double there. Everton did pull one back, but Brighton held on to win 2-1. City beat West Ham 2-0. Goals from Lauren Hemp and Jill Raw, despite a really bizarre red card for Leila Wahabi. Um, didn't really cause them too many problems in the end. Leicester City won a thriller against Bristol City 4-2. And Manchester United got a 92nd minute winner through Rachel Williams. I looked up today for Flying Geese, guys. Rachel Williams has never scored a goal for Manchester United before the 86th minute. How ridiculous is that? Five goals all after the 86th minute. Um, she got another one here. Uh, Villa had gone down to 10 players. Kirsty Hansen had sent off. Daly had put them ahead. And then Lucia Garcia, who then went on the BBC and said she was fucking tired. <laughs> That's also a great video for the weekend. If you've not seen that one, guys, look that one up. Uh, yeah, and Rachel Williams got the winner. Um, slightly annoying. But I will say, having watched United, I didn't think they looked amazing. So it'll be interesting to see how um, they sort of shake out because they obviously host Arsenal on Friday night. Um, so the table, that leaves Leicester City, top of the league. Yes. Angela's cheering because obviously he's good friends with Willie Kirk. Um, so they're top on three points. Obviously, us, City, Brighton, United, Liverpool, all on three points as well. Villa, Everton, Spurs, Arsenal, City and West Ham. They're the bottom half of the table. They all lost. So, 
big weekend next weekend. Obviously, we've just said Man United Arsenal, so that's one to keep an eye on. We are going to the Joie Stadium, the newly named Joie Stadium in Manchester for a 12.30 kickoff against City. We'll have a preview um, pod on that this week. We'll talk a little bit about City and, and maybe how they're going to differ this season. Um, to when we last played, obviously, we lost 2-0 in a very annoying game there. After that, we have West Ham at home, back at Kings Meadow for that one, as well as Brighton at home. Um, they're the other two games before the international break. Abdullah, wow, we've done it. Done it. First proper game of the season. Huge. Yeah, massive. First proper game, first proper review. It was enjoyable. I'm excited for the season to come back and, and we just kind of go in from here and the stress doesn't stop. We go Man City next. Let's bring it on. Yeah, definitely feeling a little bit nervous about that one. But hey, normally at this point in the season, we have zero points on the board. So true. we're already three points up, basically, on last year. Probably means we're going to win the league with 61 points. That's what I'm hearing. That is I what told I'm you. hearing. I told you. <laughs> okay, as I said, we will be back midweek with a, a City preview pod. But until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>